Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Winter can be hard for a lot of people. It's cold, sometimes brutally cold, daylight is in short supply, and traveling by car or even by foot can be treacherous. For others, winter is wonderland. The more snow, the better. This show is for all of us. We'll talk about crafting and cooking for the times we need or want to stay cozy inside. And then we'll talk about going outside, embracing the elements and getting the most out of winter weather. My first guest today is Laura Reed. She is a crafter and the owner of AR Workshop in Ankeny. Hello, Laura. Hello. Now, I, I said this show is for everyone, people who love winter and people who don't. How do you feel about winter? Uh, winter is not for me. I don't love it, mainly because of snow on the roads and uh, just the cold itself. Is I'm not a fan. I'm I'm right there with you. I can enjoy it sometimes. For me, it's the darkness, but we'll get through it together. You are a crafter, and a lot of us turn to crafts and hobbies during the winter months. When did you first start crafting? Oh, gosh. Ever since I was little, um, I did some uh, knitting. Um, my grandma taught me how to sew. Uh, and I've just kind of looked for different crafts throughout the years to do to keep me busy. Why do you think you love to craft, love to make things with your hands? It, you know, there's a sense of accomplishment with crafting once you finish that project. And I feel like it can be therapeutic as well. How do you consider it to be therapeutic? Uh, it's just, it's relaxing. Um, you know, when you decide to do a craft, sometimes there's repetitive motions. There's studies that show that it causes serotonin to be released in the brain. Um, and so it's, it just, it's kind of, it makes you feel good. I can imagine that you could also think of it as kind of being meditative, something that to focus your mind on so you're not constantly fretting about the things that you might be fretting about. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, when you're like, for me, when I'm uh, creating a, a blanket, um, I'm able to just focus on that and put my phone away and, you know, that distraction or, uh, yeah. What made you decide that you wanted to share the crafting experience with other people. I mean, this is this was a hobby, something that you enjoyed doing, and, and now it's your job. Yes. So actually, uh, I used to be a social worker, and my husband has a business background, and so he's always wanted to own a business. Um, and we heard about AR Workshop, which is a franchise, through a friend uh, back where I'm from in South Dakota. And uh, yeah, we, we heard about it and loved the idea. My husband and I both love DIY projects. Uh, we used to make some signs, um, make some tables and furniture for our house. And so we just kind of took that to the next level and decided to open up a franchise. So tell me about the kinds of projects that you focus on at AR Workshop, because you're bringing people in for classes. You're facilitating their crafting, right? Yes. So it really started out with 
wood projects. So plank wood signs, framed wood signs, centerpiece boxes, all kind of surrounded around um, wood being that um, material we were using. And since then, what I love about the franchise is it's it kind of goes with what the trends are. And so chunky knit blankets are a big uh, project for us now. Um, candle pouring. We do other kinds of specialty classes too. Um, macrame, watercolor, hand lettering. So there's kind of something for everyone. And this is your busy season, right? Yes, winter is our busy season. People don't want to be outside as much or there's not as much to do outside um, for us in Iowa. And so it really picks up for us around October through March. When people come in and take these classes, what do you think they get out of the experience? Because you you clearly are a very skilled crafter. So when you make something, you're going to probably come up with a, a product that you really can feel proud of. For somebody who's new to it, what do you think they get out of that experience of a, a guided crafting session? Well, I do think that they also get that sense of accomplishment um, when they complete the craft. And the nice thing about the projects that we are teaching is I like to call them foolproof. And then the end product is wall worthy. You're, you want to hang it on your wall. You're going to be proud of it. Um, we take you step by step through the process. We want your project to turn out just as well as you want your project to turn out. And, you know, we have steps along the way to uh, help that. Are there craft projects that for you are, are something that you'd be more likely to gravitate gravitate toward during the winter months? I personally love our chunky knit blankets. Um, it's a fun one to do. Plus, it doesn't take a lot of tools. You're using your hands to knit them. And so all you need is the supplies. And it's relatively inexpensive to make a blanket. And then you can use it immediately because you're cold anyway, right? Yes. And if you have kids or dogs, they love to steal them. <laughs> so you craft professionally now. In your free time, do you still pursue some of your own personal craft hobbies? Not a lot, just because of the age of my kids um, and owning a business and my husband also owning a business. We don't, I don't have a lot of extra time to craft. However, if I'm going to, um, something that I do enjoy doing is hand lettering. Um, and I've done that for about eight years. And it's just one of those uh, things that I like to do, you know, after a long day to kind of decompress. So since you mentioned kids, let's talk about kids, because, of course, a lot of people in this season are home a lot with their children, and they don't want their kids to just sit in front of a device all the time. They don't want to just have the TV on all the time. So craft projects are a great thing to do to uh, to engage your kids and give them something to pursue. Do you have some favorite ways to engage kids with craft projects? Yes. So yes, my girls love to do anything crafty. They love coming to the workshop with me um, to to work on anything. Um, some projects that I find are relatively easy, maybe not super 
they're going to be a little bit messy, um, would be squeegee art, which is a newer one. Um, macrame, how, how does, tell on... me about squeegee art first. How does that work? Sure. Uh, so kind of like it sounds. So, you know, the squeegees you use in your bathrooms in the shower, um, you're going to take one of those. You can get them at the dollar store and some watercolor paper or cardstock would work too. And you're just going to uh, make a design with paint. Um, those little craft bottles of paint work great for this. Um, and then after you've made your design on the paper, you're just going to take that squeegee, start at the top and drag it all the way down. And it makes a really neat design. Um, we've done ghosts with them. You can make really neat cats with them. The, the possibilities are endless. And then you mentioned macrame. That gives me a 1970s flashback. But macrame is back in, I hear. Yes, the trends always come back, right? Um, so yeah, depending on the age, you know, that would be good for like a tween um, to, you know, follow a little video tutorial. And all you really need is that macrame cording. Well, and you mentioned video tutorials. That is something that I feel has just radically revolutionized at home crafting. I, I see my kids do it all the time. They think, oh, I'd like something like this. And so then they look it up and, oh, I can follow these steps and, and make it. My kids both taught themselves to crochet that way. That that really gives us a lot of opportunities, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And there's some great places to find those video tutorials. You can find them on Pinterest. That's kind of my go-to for, you know, new crafts or you know, things that might interest me. Um, also, um, other social media like TikTok or I use Instagram Reels um, to find some crafting projects as well. You mentioned that at AR Workshop, you like to give people the opportunity to succeed by, by kind of creating foolproof uh, projects. We are also seeing a lot of people taking classes in some of the, the higher skill crafts, people learning glass blowing or, of course, ceramics. People have always loved to, to learn about ceramics. But are you seeing a trend with that as well, where people are really becoming skilled artists? Yes, there's definitely lots of different classes to take. And I um like the glass blowing or candle pouring, pottery, uh, string art, hand lettering, lots of different uh, project options to take classes. Do you have any advice for someone who, who maybe isn't going to go out and take a class, but what kind of at-home craft projects do you recommend for somebody who, who is looking for a new challenge and something to to help them relax and maybe meditate a little bit during the winter months? Yes. So sub subscription kits are a great option for those who maybe don't know what type of craft that they want to start doing. Um, it kind of dips your toe in the water a little bit to test things out without purchasing all the supplies for something you may not know if you're actually going to love doing. And so they've got monthly subscriptions. Uh, some of the places you can get those are on Etsy. Um, KiwiCo has them for children and adults as well. Um, so you don't have to spend any extra money. Um, you can kind of choose what craft you like and then invest in that craft. Um, another idea is to have a craft night with friends. 
and each month you one person hosts it and they provide the craft that you're going to be doing and the the host is the one that's teaching it for people who may think i'm not talented enough to craft i am i am not artistic in any way do you have any advice for for how to get started yes so with anything i think that practice makes progress um maybe not perfection but you don't have to be great at a craft to find joy in crafting. Laura, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. Laura Reed is a crafter and the owner of AR Workshop in Ankeny. We're talking about some ways to find joy in the dark, cold winter months. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. Support for IPR comes from the Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about the Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. It can be easy to default to binge-watching television when you're stuck indoors, but family time or time with friends or even time with strangers can be a whole lot more fun if you play a game. Annalise Tarnowski is the membership director at IPR and our resident board game expert. She also does that professionally as co-owner of the Rook Room in Des Moines, an event series and pop-up board game bar. In fact, she is leaving us to make the Rook room her full-time job but while she's still here she's going to talk to us about board games hi Annalise hi Charity so good to talk to you wonderful to talk to you and so Annalise when people come together to play a board game you've seen this a lot what do you see that happens that makes it such a special experience Oh, so many things. Um, I think what's really special about board games is sort of what you've alluded to, which is kind of no screens most of the time. So it's an opportunity to put your phone down. You're not checking your email, all that kind of stuff. And then you're also kind of getting to know each other through the game. So you don't have to talk about things as small as the weather, which right now is actually kind of a big deal, but generally, you know, small topics or big or controversial topics. Instead, you're focusing on sort of a set of rules and then playing within those rules together. So it gives everyone the same guidebook and all that kind of stuff to get to know each other. Um, and then also they're really fun. So people get to be in this mindset of having fun and maybe learning something new or teaching something new. And um, yeah, it's just a really exciting confluence of a bunch of things that can build really strong relationships between people. So when it goes well, there's this kind of chemical reaction that happens that, yes. that really is special. But sometimes it doesn't go well. <laughs> Yeah. I think we've all seen this. So do you have some advice on how to make the experience successful? And let's talk about in families, just, just to start with that. What are, what are some good guidelines so that everybody does have a good time? Yes. So one of the first things I say, especially when I'm teaching a game, is I ask everybody at the table to agree that we are playing to learn and not playing to win. So hopefully everybody can agree to those rules, at least the first time you're playing something new. Because um, it also helps people feel comfortable with not needing to understand 100% of every rule before you start playing. One of the worst parts about playing a game is trying to read through the whole book, remember yes. all of it and get going. Yes. So I always try to get everyone on board to just let's start it, 
start how the game starts, get going. You might make terrible moves at the beginning, which might make cause you to lose, but at least you'll know how to play. And then the second time around, I think everyone sits down and it gets a little bit more comfortable being together and it can't, you know, it doesn't feel as competitive immediately. How about with kids, with uh, younger <laughs> people playing these games? Sometimes it can be hard to navigate a competitive environment. Yeah, I think one great way with kids, especially if you have kids that are all sort of a similar age and might be a little competitive with each other, is finding cooperative games that you can play. So everyone will be on the same team trying to win against the game instead of against each other. So if you're going to be caught up inside for many days at a time, trying to minimize as many fights as possible is uh, one of the goals. So uh, finding cooperative games that people can play together. And then um, it gets very creative, too, because you're not just thinking about what your player can do, but also maybe what your brother's player can do and what you can do together. So it becomes more of like a collaborative, creative game instead of a competitive one. Do you have a couple favorite collaborative games? Um, well, one of my favorites is Pandemic. Um, kids can definitely learn it, but it takes a little bit more time. Um, but that one is great because it uh, has everyone has a different role and all you're trying to do is stop the spread of disease altogether. Um, so that one's really fun. Um, but any game that says cooperative, when you look up uh, what it is or collaborative, that'll help. There's also a couple, a series called Unlock that has uh, many different games inside of it with all different difficulty levels. So when you buy one of the boxes, it has like easy, medium, and tough. So some for the kids and some for the parents. Um, and those are all about, again, working together, sort of solving puzzles and trying to get to the end of this sort of either escape room or puzzle situation. Um, that one does have a free phone app. So you'll use your phone very, very minimally, uh, mostly to keep time. Or if you get super stuck on a puzzle, it can kind of help you get unstuck too. Now, I grew up in a hyper competitive family and <laughs> we loved that. I mean, that was that was sort of part of the games. I mean, sure, sometimes it devolved yes. and it wasn't so great, but sometimes you do just really want to be really competitive. So mm -hmm. do you need to have an agreement with everybody who's playing <laughs> that like we're all playing to win this game? Yeah, I think so long as everyone sits down and gets on the same page from the beginning, and that's a good rule for life too. It's just checking in with people and make sure you're going in the same direction. Um, we do the same thing in D&D. &D. It's called a session zero, um, which is where you sit down and say, what kind of game do we want to be playing together? Since in D&D, &D, you make the game up as you go. It's really important that everyone has sort of the same goal in mind, and the same is true for board games. How do you feel about really long games? Well, I love them, but I definitely understand how other folks might not. Um, my favorite type of game is called an engine building game, um, where your early moves can end up paying off a lot later um, if you build strong engines that can kind of make other things happen for yourself in your game. And those are kind of fun, too, because they're not super directly competitive because everyone's sort of working on their own uh, space to try to make things really efficient or work really well. But because you're sort of building a series of a lot of things, they do take a long time. So I love them, but I can understand how some people might prefer quick party games or just medium length games. So, you know, I'm imagining playing games with a family because we're all snowed in together or mm -hmm. with a group of friends that, you know, maybe they've come over and we're going to eat pizza and play games on these cold winter nights. But you bring people together who are strangers to play games. <laughs> yes. Why? You love that. Why? Why is that so much fun? Um, I love that because I think um, there's a lot of loneliness out there and there has been since before COVID, but I think a lot more of us are seeing and talking about it now. 
Um, and board games to me has been one of the easiest ways to lower a lot of the social barriers of getting to know new people. Um, during COVID, I know some of my like social muscles sort of atrophied. I just wasn't talking to new people frequently enough. And when I would sit down to play board games, a lot of that stuff kind of comes out on the sides while you're already playing a game, again, that you all agree to the rules, you're doing it all together. Um, and we have a lot of extra little tools that help people when they get together too. So everyone has to wear a name tag, they add their pronouns. We have little flags on every table that let people know whether you know they're already playing, so it's too late to join, or uh, if they'd rather just play with themselves if they came you know, with friends, or if they're looking for players to play with. So you don't even have to walk up and possibly get rejected. You know, you know that those people want you to join them and play with them. Um, so that's really fun too. We'll kind of preset a couple of games and then put flags on them and people walk up. And um, yeah, some of them keep coming back now at every one of our events after they met and they hang out after and they, you know, go get drinks after one of our events. And that to me is the highest compliment that they um, found us to be a safe space where they could be themselves and meet other people and then hopefully build some kind of lifelong connections from that. Annalise, thank you so much. Thank you. This was a joy. Annalise Tarnowski is the membership director at IPR, but not for much longer. She's leaving us to work on board games permanently, professionally. She is the co-owner of The Rook Room, which is an event series and pop-up board game bar in Des Moines. Winter has been brutal for the last couple of weeks. This hour, we're talking about how to cope with winter. In a few minutes, we'll shift gears from coping with winter to embracing winter. Winter enthusiast Chad Swope of the University of Iowa will share some of his favorite winter activities. But right now, we're going to talk about staying cozy in the kitchen. Winnie Moranville is a food writer and cookbook author. She wrote for the Des Moines Register for many years. And these days, you can find her recommendations in her sub stack newsletter, Winnie's Food Stories. Winnie, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Our next guest loves winter, but you are not a lover of winter. Am I right about that? The older I get, the less I love winter. I was thinking recently how when I lived in Iowa City as a, as, as a student, you know, you would, I would walk around in a down vest and a, a sweater because it was cool, you know, and I didn't necessarily feel like I needed to wear a coat, no matter how cold it was. And you'd walk up and down those icy hills and you didn't mind at all. I never even thought about winter. It's just what it was. But ev with every year, I just don't, <laughs> I stop like, I like it less and less. So yeah, I don't, I mean, there's always that first snow, it's cozy, it's lovely. It's like, oh, it's so pretty and peaceful. And then after a while, I just get cabin fever and I don't like to go out in the cold. Yeah, well, I can relate to that a lot. Uh, so <laughs> as as someone who has a, a long history with food writing and restaurants, I mean, in the winter, is the kitchen one of your places for comfort? Absolutely. A year round, I love to cook. But winter is you know, when I know it's cliche, but it's when I do baking. and I do not consider myself an extra an expert baker. I'm good enough. I can do it, but it's not. I'm I'm really more of a main dish, stews, roasts, braises, steaks, you know, those sorts of things. But you know, so I will do um, some baking. But in the winter, I love to bake, and that's basically what I do. Is I try to perfect a specialty in the winter. Um, I, I mean, it's like um, a few years ago, over Christmas and New Year's, I traveled to um, Memphis, Nashville, and Louisville. 
and I called it my Southern pie tour because I kept everywhere I went, there was a specialty pie, like lemon icebox pie was at the, you know, at, at the Graceland, the bar and grill at Graceland guest house and chocolate chess pie was in this wonderful little kind of um, ca- old school cafe called Arnold's um, in, in uh, um, Nashville. And then Derby pie I had at the Brown Hotel. So I came back and in January, I just perfected those recipes. And just kept making them. And all of them freeze well. So it wasn't like I had to finish a pie every day. <laughs> so, Well, so I was that, just going to ask about that because that is, a, that is a problem. When you do a lot of baking, you also have to have an audience for that baking. And if you're kind of housebound in the winter, it's hard to find those people. But freezing, that's a really yeah, good idea. Freezing. Oh, yeah. It was all about freezing. And, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I perfected raisin to- or raisin bread for toast. Because I don't really love the raisin breads you get commercially at the supermarket, but I love a good raisin toast. And it took me a long time to get a great recipe, but that was one, you know, that was another year's project. And then this year, I, I need to roll up my sleeves, but I found an old recipe for Yonkers Tea Room sticky rolls, which, you know, people from Des Moines or, you know, across the Midwest will remember Yonkers. But in downtown Des Moines, there was the Tea Room, which was that sort of elegant, beautiful restaurant. And I worked there a little while. Um, and they had these sticky rolls. They were little caramel rolls. And they were wonderful. And everybody's always trying to find the recipe. Well, I found an old church cookbook from 1959 that claims to have the recipe. And, and there's also two other recipes I've seen that aren't quite right, but I've seen them out and about. So between the three, I'm going to try to get them together. So, you know, that's what I do in winter. I kind of try to bake, but also bake in a way that sort of speaks to, I don't know, uh, my heritage, my perhaps, you know, my travels, um, my past, perhaps, you know, family, those sorts of things. So I kind of add the cozy appeal that way. Well, it gives you an intellectual pursuit. I mean, baking can be an intellectual pursuit, but it feels like you've got this pursuit going on on a lot of levels. When you get those sticky rolls right, how will you know? I think I remember them. I probably served thousands of those sticky rolls in my life because I worked at Yonkers restaurants for, oh, I don't know, from like the age of 16 to 22. So I I worked there a lot. And um, I think I know what they're supposed to be. I I, I will remember that. You'll know it when you taste it. <laughs> I, I will. Yes. So for me, I have a hard time. My my energy levels really flag in the winter. I think that's a lot of the cold, but also the lack of light. Do you have any tricks for staying motivated to cook? Because when you're housebound, maybe you get a little tired of making that evening meal every day. Um, I, you know, I mean, yes, I will also sort of, if I if I sort of see a slump coming, do some, I, I love braises. I love braising in winter, you know, taking those tough cuts of meat, big old cuts of meat, you know, Fred Flintstone size cuts of meat and, and getting them braised and then, you know, putting, putting them, you know, freezing them and putting them away for another day, you know, that, that will help you through the slump. I mean, just, I mean, no better time for make ahead kinds of meals than winter, actually, um, because most of the things are soups and stews and braises, and those things freeze extraordinarily well. So if you're if you feel a slump coming on, just kind of do a few of those. You'll you'll be you'll you'll do all right. 
Well, and when you're cooking, when you're baking, I mean, you're actually putting heat into the room, so it makes it warmer. But also, I feel like the smell of whatever you're making, that really heightens the feeling of coziness. So all of these sound like brilliant ideas because they fill the whole kitchen, the whole house with warmth. Absolutely. You you, you don't want to leave. <laughs> but that's another piece of advice that you do have, which is leave. Yes. <laughs> so yes. you consider it, it, winter to be a great time to go to restaurants, right? Absolutely. I mean, it is a, a you know, February is great for restaurateurs when they get near Valentine's Day. But January and that, you know, first part of February is a really tough time for restaurateurs. So I think it's, you know, it's a great idea to get out. And that is one of the better ways for those of us who don't love winter is go to one of the more cozy places that you can think of and enjoy a meal out. You'll be doing yourself a favor. You'll get out of the house and, you know, shoot, just choose one of those places where, you know, there's a warm glow. I like places like, like right now, I love a place that has a warm glow from the, from the open kitchen. It's, it's lovely. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I would recommend to, you know, just get out if, if, if you can. Is traveling somewhere to try a new restaurant, is that a winter pursuit you enjoy? Any food lover in Iowa should, should probably make the trip to Iowa City to go to the Webster. It's, it's just fantastic. And, um, you know, as you know, Iowa City is just a great town. It's like, it's like a big city in a small town package. And, you know, Omaha, I've, I wrote a piece about, you know, 36 hours in Omaha. Great. Oh, just great restaurants in Omaha. And that that whole downtown old market area is just that's that's a place that has a great warm, warm glow in so many of those restaurants. So I recommend those two places, especially. And if you're not up for a, a longer journey, this is a time of year that it's great to entertain, to invite just a few people over to make a beautiful meal and spend a cozy evening together, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I've really gotten away from complicated anything when it comes to dinner parties. Um, you know, I used to think everybody, you know, like, especially in the 90s, people were always kind of going for that sort of elegant thing. And now it's just, just do a great, wonderful braise, you know, like a beef bourguignon or a cocoa van or any, any braise will do, you know, just a really nice one. And then the great thing about that is you you stick it in the fridge for a day and it gets even better and you've got the whole make ahead thing going so you don't you don't have that last minute oh my gosh I have to get all this stuff ready. Well, and it takes us back to that that motivation question as well. If you put out the invitation, you get your driveway clear so that your friends can yes. come and park in it. You put out that invitation, then you've got your motivation built in. Yeah, ab ab absolutely. That's a, that's a really good point. It's like you, there's no turning back, right? <laughs> it's a it's a great way for me to motivate myself to clean the house as well, especially in these these difficult months. Yeah. Well, Winnie, thank you so much for talking with me and for giving us some ideas for how to stay cozy. All right. Well, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Winnie Moranville is a food writer and cookbook author. She wrote for the Des Moines Register for many years, and these days you can find her recommendations in her Substack newsletter, Winnie's Food Stories. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from The Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at UpstreamFM.com. 
It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Today we're talking about ways to find joy in the darkest, coldest months of the year. For some, once the snow falls and the temperature drops, it's easy to find joy. Chad Swope is one of those people. He finds a lot to love and a lot to do in the wintertime. Swope is an adjunct instructor at the University of Iowa who teaches lifetime leisure courses, including a winter camping course. Chad, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. So were you always a fan of winter? Yeah, I think I've always been a fan of just being outside, being active. And uh, it is one of the things I've always loved about living in Iowa is the change of seasons. You can find beauty in every every season. And I I think I've always been able to adapt to the cold. Uh, I think the heat and humidity of summer has always been my least favorite, you know. And and so, yeah, I love – yeah, I've always loved just being outside. So uh, winter is definitely my least favorite. I'll just – full disclosure. But um, being outside makes everything better – Always. Yeah. For me. That's how I get through, even though I don't love being outside in the winter. If I don't do it, then I feel terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And people are always saying, and I don't know if I entirely believe it, that there's no such thing as bad weather. There's just bad clothing. So you're one of those people. Um, people. (laughs) Tell me what we need to know about going outside and doing it safely. Well, think of it this way. We're warm blooded creatures, right? And, And there's four main ways our bodies lose heat. You know, I think of uh, conduction. You just touch a cold, either bare, you're going to feel that cold railing, you know, but you have a glove on, it doesn't feel as bad. Um, the wind blowing. So the more you just, you know, we're always radiating heat away. So the more layers you put on, you know, you can you can contain that heat. Uh, it's windy days or for, you know, that's going to, you know, suck more heat out of you. So it's just about, it's just about layering about, you know, keeping like, like thinking of your feet even, you know, if you're in thin soled shoes, you're closer to the ground. It's going to suck your heat away. Your feet are going to get cold. I've always like with winter sh- with winter shoes or boots. Um, you buy them a little bit bigger. I remember as a kid, it's like you're putting two or three pairs of socks on. But you, yeah. you don't want to constrict uh, circulation. I buy them bigger just to put an extra insert at the bottom, an extra layer of insulation between you and the ground. You know, and that's going to keep your feet warm. It's like same thing. You, you go to those those football games. You sit on a cold metal bleacher. You put a pad underneath. You're you're much more comfortable. And so, uh, it's working to reduce those four ways. The one, the other, the I mean, it's convection, conduction. Um, you're always radiating heat, but then uh, evaporation. Think about in the summertime. You sweat, and that's what cools you off. And so, you have to really regulate your temperature too. If you're over layered, and then all of a sudden you're starting to sweat underneath, you want to keep those those base layers dry. So it's it's just about, you know, reducing those four ways our bodies lose heat and you're going to be much, much happier out there. I remember as a kid just spending hours and hours and hours outside playing in the snow and it, it just not being a problem. And of course, I think as adults, we worry more about frostbite and, and different things that can go wrong. Are we going to know if something's going wrong? Yeah, I mean... Again, yeah, like my three boys, they're out there. I mean, it was the negative 14 and they're out there and you could see the cheeks getting red or like in the in between the wrist and the coat getting red and would try to bring them in and you're like, you're pulling them in, kicking and screaming, you know, like um, it's almost even like, you know, like how you press your finger and it, it turns white and turns back to red. If it's slowly doing that, then yeah, you got to, you got to really watch that. And it's, as long as the skin's covered and even things like that, like I always put, uh, like on the cheeks of the boys, if they, they'll get the buffs on or sometimes they got the visors, but like even Vaseline on any open skin, like around your cheeks and things like really helps. And so, uh, you're going to start to feel, yeah, those tinglings, you're going to start to feel almost like a burning sensation sometimes. And so you just got to recognize that. But then, yeah, like I said, my boys are just going, 90 miles an hour and, and, and they don't, they don't notice it and they don't want to, they don't care and they're, they're just going. And so. For people who, who may not have an outdoor winter sport that they love, what are some of the easy entry activities that you love? Well, like, um, 
it, uh, the easiest way is to, to move through deeper snow, like cross-country skiing or snowshoeing. You know, and those are two easy ones to get you out. The snowshoeing, you're just walking. Um, cross-country skiing, it's a little more technical. You need to learn. But um, those two, just to get you off. The, what's great, too, you don't have to stick to a trail. You can just go off trail and go. You're not going to do any impact when you're on the snow. Uh, those are the two easiest ones just to get outside. You know, it's even even days like this, or like last night, you know, the, we were out there building snowman, having a snowball fight, things, things like that just to get you out and get you active. But those two, I think the... The cross-country skiing and snowshoeing is, is a great way just to get out and explore. The, the beauty of it, especially when the snow is on the trees and everything, it's, just, it's absolutely beautiful. You are into some more hardcore stuff. Tell me about ice climbing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a group of us that we've gone out to Uray, Colorado, uh, almost every year for the last 12 years. Um, it's just on from either rock climbing and then uh, there's a group of good friends of mine that we had well, it was 12 years ago. We climbed Mount Rainier, and one of them had this goal of there's a certain route up Mount Rainier, Liberty Ridge, where it's a straight vertical wall of ice. And I hadn't done ice climbing. I've done plenty of rock climbing, plenty of mountaineering. Um, and he got us kind of hooked in, you know, um, going out to, to Colorado. And then it just turned into, I think it was last year or the year before, I was like, you know, we started this kind of this trip just to get us ready for going back on Rainier. And uh, we've just, it, this just developed into a fun, like going ice climbing. And it's just, it's, it's like rock climbing, but you're, you make your own holds. You've got the ice picks, you've got the, the crampons on. Um, and it's, and it's absolutely beautiful. There's a, there's a box Canyon uh, in Uray that they, it's farmed ice. They basically flood it, you know? And uh, so there's like, like 200 routes of like frozen water, like kind of mimicked frozen waterfalls to, to climb. And it's, it's just another great way of getting out there and it gets that adrenaline going and it's just, it's beautiful and it's, it's fun. We don't tend to have cliffs um, for climbing in Iowa, but I have interviewed people who create yeah. ice climbing opportunities on grain silos. Yeah. You have you done do that? I, yeah, we did. And they haven't done it for a few years. It was up at, at Cedar Falls. Uh, mm-hmm. Don Briggs in charge of the outdoor programs that you and I at the time would have on those farm silos. But there, I just, I know there's one year I, I heard that one of those big chunks of ice came down and crushed one of the, like, a shed or something like that. And then the farmer's like, nope, I don't think we're going to do that anymore. We're done. So, <laughs> yeah. So we're trying to find, there's a group that's trying to find a way to bring that back. And I know there's more, there's more, I mean, not in Iowa, but like, um, Oh, Sandstone, Minnesota, in Winona, there's old quarries that they're doing that. They're like they're mimicking what they do out in Uray, and they're they're farming it. And so there are there are opportunities, and there's some, some places in Illinois that have some frozen waterfalls if it's in, you know. And so there's opportunities for it. Just to, it, that that one is the gear. Uh, it, it can be expensive. The ice axes and the boots can be expensive, but um, if you got an opportunity, it's it's worth a try. It's 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 just something different. It's it's fun. It's exciting. Tell me about winter camping. What's the allure? Uh, all right. So like I did the wildlife camps for the University of Iowa for 20 years. And 11 of those years, you know, I was in charge of the, the junior high and the high school. We're camping but, you know, two nights a week <clears throat> in uh, late July, early August. When it doesn't get below 80 at night, there's no wind. And you got to be in a tent because of the insects. Uh, and you're just laying there counting the drops of sweat. And I don't, it was miserable for me. I, 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 I hate those nights, you know, and, and I can, you can do more like the other night, like it was, you, you can do more to keep yourself warm, you know, and, and uh, you with the gear and, and just knowing the little things. Uh, I, I was, it is my, my son, Charlie and I, you know, two nights ago slept in a Quincy in our front yard and, um, you go into your sleeping bag warm and we did have a frozen water bottle or a, a bottle of bottles full of boiling water. You put it in there first, you have a warm bed to go into. Uh, I was so much more comfortable. I sleep so much better in those in those areas than I do when it's like so hot. All right. You threw out that term Quincy. Yeah. And of course, a lot of us did a lot of fort building in snow Absolutely. when we were children. This is 
a snow fort, basically. Yeah, Tell basically. me what a Quincy is. So Quincy, so think igloos, like we were talking, like an igloo is when you can carve out blocks and you make a brick house of ice, of snow bricks. You don't have that much snow. Quincy comes, it's a, it comes from Canada, Canadian term. Uh, when the snow is below freezing, yet powdery snow, snow is a good insulator from, from however much you have from the top layer of the snow down to the ground level, there's different temperatures. So you basically scoop up a pile of snow as big as you can. Uh, the one in our yard, I had it up as high as tall as I was and enough room because you want the you want the walls to be about a foot thick when you scoop up that snow uh, all those that big pile there's a all those different temperatures mix and melt you let it sit for an hour and a half two hours it's called the sintering process that that basically snow pile solidifies so then you can go back in and just hollow out a cave and so before we did that um, we actually put in like you find a bunch of sticks about a foot length and you kind of put them in all around top to bottom. And so when you're inside digging and you hit a stick, you know when to stop because you want the walls to be about a foot thick. Uh, and ideally, if you have enough, and we are able to do this where at the opening of it, and you want the opening uh, traditionally like facing southeast. So when the sun comes up, it warms you up. Uh, but you crawl up into it. So when, you, when you're digging it out, you dig up first and then dig down and leave a platform. So you're above all the cold air can exit out the at the entrance. Uh, but it's, yeah, it, it was just, a, it's a lot of work. And again, it's about managing, you know, regulating your temperature, but my boys have fun. Yeah. They, we've got tunnels, we've got, we've got sled runs, we've got, you know, snow, snowball bunkers, you know, for snowball Well, and fights. this snow that we've had was, yeah. was pretty ideal it was. for this it, kind of thing. Absolutely ideal. Absolutely ideal. Yeah. And perfect. although then it got really, really, really cold. Uh-huh. And so even, even for you, wasn't it a little too cold? Well, I mean, now, I, I don't know. I, I, as long as you're like, I was out in it and my boys were like, school's canceled and they're, they're out in it. We're just, we manage how long you're out there. Um, yeah, I've got a negative 20 degree sleeping bag. And, you know, and as long as you're, you got, and like camping pads, if you're used to that, I usually do two pads. Again, that more insulation between you and the ground. Um, yeah, for sleeping. And you're inside that shelter, the temperature does rise. Yeah, I remember like when we get in there, you could see you could see your breath. And by the time we got our outer layers and boots off or getting in our sleeping bag, you couldn't see your breath in the shelter anymore. You know, and so just even our breathing kind of helps, you know, warm it up. So you're warmer inside those. It's warmer than a than a four season like a winter tent. You know, there's just thin nylon keeps the the wind off you. You got a foot layer of of insulation around you. And so And so you and your son slept out in a Quincy yeah. on Sunday night. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Was this his first time doing it? It was. It was. I, he's been he's been bugging he's, me for years. Is he eleven? Uh, he's the nine year old. Oh, nine year old. He's the okay. nine year old. Uh, uh, three boys at eleven, nine, and eight. And Charlie's been wanting to. And then it was. Now I was worried about him when it was like negative eighteen. Uh, I was worried about him, so we hadn't done it. So and then looking at like now it's like so warm, the snow's melting, and it's just wet. It's like camping in the rain, this kind of snow. And so uh, we did it. Uh, even though it was a school night, yeah, did it Sunday night. Uh, it was amazing, and he he loved it, and uh, he slept like a rock. And so that's great. Yeah. and I'm sure he'll never never forget it. Now, even for me, someone who doesn't love winter, when there's beautiful snow and the sun is shining, and it can be cold, but it's just so gorgeous. Yeah. It's the clouds. <laughs> it's the clouds yeah. that make winter and the darkness yeah. make winter so hard for me. And on a day like today, I'm sure. This is hard for it's, people who love winter yeah, to see it it's all just melt, right? Gloomy and slushy. It is. I, it, 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 I've got a winter camping class this coming weekend, and we were talking like how last week would have been perfect, even though it was really cold. And and we'll make do. We can, you know. Um, but it is. It's it's it, it's like it's like camping in the rain. If you're going to go out and do it, and if you're really true in doing it, it's it's just wet and sloshy. It's but like camping in the cold rain. <laughs> it is like camping in the cold <laughs> rain. Again, as long as you have good gear, you you could you could make it worthwhile. You could be you'll be fine. So 
when you do something like that, I mean, obviously it's on your schedule and you're teaching a class. So yeah. You're going to do it. Um, how do you how do you find joy in that experience, even when the weather is far less than ideal? I, you know, I don't know. I find it's just giving these people opportunities for new experiences. You know, it's with the students. Uh, I think the worst I had it, I remember one year we had 10 inches of snow the Wednesday before this winter camping class, and I was so excited. But then the forecast for Saturday was 50 degrees and rain. And we did about 2 o'clock. It was like a downpour. It was 50, but it was a downpour. But we rigged up a tarp, uh, and we we had a fire going underneath there. We're hanging around telling stories. You know, and then you're getting your – we did tents. We didn't do snow shelters. But um, – and, yeah, and everybody – Everybody survived. Everybody did fine. You just you just find different ways. Yeah, I mean, it's just like again, if you're camping in the summertime and it rains, you you figure out, figure out different things, activities, games, or and, and the beauty too with winter camping is you need to keep keep that internal heater going, right? And so you need to keep feeding it. So it's a higher calorie diet. You're eating a lot more, so you can have fun with the food and and make you know fun different kind of dishes and treats and things. And so you're eating a lot more. And you're just trying to stay active. So. You make the best of it. You are clearly a guy who doesn't like sitting still and doesn't like to be cooped up. Um, so, you know, when winter enters that gray, soggy, everything is pretty much melted phase, but we still have weeks of that. Yeah. Um, and you can't go cross-country skiing and you can't go snowshoeing and you can't build your Quincy. What do you like to do outside then? You know, uh I even still biking or like, you know, they groom some of those trails. I don't know how they'll, if they get muddy or mushy, if there's still you know, enough packed for like the fat tire bikes, you know, just even just, just hiking, you know, if it's, you know, you've got waterproof proof boots, you know, we'll just go for hikes and explore different things. And, um, the, the boys love ice fishing, you know, if there's still enough ice out there, we'll, we'll do some ice fishing and, um, yeah, we'll just get out and stay active. What do you do when you absolutely can't go out? <laughs> uh, that's what's the fun with having three boys. You know, uh, we have some intense Nerf wars in the basement. Um, we've got a we've got a pool table, a dartboard, air hockey. You know, we try to keep them active. I heard, like you know, try to keep them off screens. We try to limit that. They get some screen time. We love. We got a fireplace to build a fire, watch a movie. Uh, we got a puzzle going upstairs. You know, that they all kind of chip in with, um, trying to get them in. Myself, even my wife is an avid reader, you know, and, and finding good books. Uh, but that's the that's that's the thing. We have enough fun activities that right. we're just running around. The Nerf Wars are probably the the, <laughs> the favorite. So, do you? We were talking earlier about how, for those of us that don't like winter, it tends to get harder every year as we get older. How about you? Do you do you feel like it gets more difficult, or are you just? Happy, happy no, just, that it comes. I, I'm happy that it comes. It, uh, we just, you just embrace it. I don't know. I think it's, you know, you don't stop doing things. You get old. You get old because you stop doing things, and you just got to stay active. You know, uh, I think uh, you just, I don't know. You find ways. And it is. It, it honestly helps me too. The three boys keep me young. Uh, you know, keeping up with them and all their activities and running around and, and and seeing their excitement. And I think that's the same thing with like this weekend. And it, it always amazes me. Some of these university students I'll have that have never gone camping before. And they sign up for winter camping. And so I, I totally admire that. Like your first time is camping and you're, you're coming with me to go winter camping. Uh, I, I admire that. And so I, you, I don't know, you just you embrace it and have fun with it. And that's what, I don't know, that's what life's about. You just want to find joy and find happiness and find fun. So It's out there somewhere. It's out there. Yeah, if you're looking for it. you so, got to be looking for it. A lot of people who live in Iowa and uh, colder climates tend to try to escape to warm places in the winter. 
not throwing any shade at all there. Do you do you go off in search of winter, like better winter? Uh, well, I'd say like the deer ray trip. That's been a, going out to Colorado. That's always been. We try to do that, um, and we'll try to go, you know, take the boys skiing and things. But at the same time, you know, my my mom is in Florida right now, and my dad will go down. He he's got a, he's he's easing into retirement very well. He spends three days here working, and he'll go down there for ten days throughout the winter. And so we actually were down there a couple weeks ago. Uh, then and so we spent some time with grandpa and grandpa down there. Um, and so, um, but really, there's enough around here, you know, with uh, sundown and you know up at um, Chestnut Mountain, you know, do some skiing, you know, get a little, just go a little farther north. Or we've gone up. Like if we haven't made it up to Colorado, we'll go up to Sandstone, do the ice climbing, you know. So try to find, try to find ways to do it. All right, winter is out there. It is waiting for you, <laughs> Chad Swope. Thank you so much for talking with me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is fun. Chad Swope is an adjunct instructor at the University of Iowa. He teaches lifetime leisure courses. He is taking some students camping this coming weekend. Don't you wish you were going camping this weekend? Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. Our producers are Danny Gear, Caitlin Troutman, and Samantha McIntosh. Our production assistants are Kate Perez and Maddie Willis. You never need to miss an episode of Talk of Iowa. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And also, check, uh, check out the new podcast, Unsettled. It's season two of Unsettled, exploring many different aspects of womanhood. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe.